You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video for the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here for the third Sunday in our Advent journey. Annie, yes. welcome. Ah, thank you, Father. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Good, yes. And uh, um, we've got some some uh, pretty pretty righteous biblical text to take a look at righteous here today. Why don't we text. go ahead and give these to everybody? Let's do it. Get out your notebooks, get out your Bibles, and write down these passages. Good. Come the real Bible, you. yeah. Yes, indeed. Good. Okay, our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 35. We're reading verses one through six and then verse 10. The responsorial Psalm is taken from Psalm 146. The gospel for the third Sunday of Advent is Matthew chapter 11, verses two through 11. And the epistle is James chapter five, verses seven through 10. There we have it. Isaiah chapter 35. Let's go ahead and turn nice. there and get started with our um, with our study today. Okay. All right. Awesome. Let me know when you are ready to go. I mean, okay. we've been turning I, to Isaiah so often. It's like, hopefully be, people just have a bookmark there it's now. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Just flip it open and it's going to open up to Isaiah. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Isaiah chapter 35 verses one, one through, six. through six and verse 10. 10. Yes, okay. indeed. All right, here we go. The desert and the parched land will exult. The steppe will rejoice and bloom. They will bloom with abundant flowers and rejoice with joyful song. The glory of Lebanon will be given to them, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the hands that are feeble, make firm the knees that are weak. Say to those whose hearts are frightened, be strong, fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication, with divine recompense. He comes to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be cleared. Then will the lame leap like a stag. Then the tongue of the mute will sing. Those whom the Lord has ransomed will return and enter Zion singing, crowned with everlasting joy. They will meet with joy and gladness. Sorrow and mourning will flee. Well, a beautiful reading, certainly, but what's going on here, Father? I mean, what what's happening in Isaiah that that leads up to this prophecy yeah. that's being made here? Let's take let's take a look because let's be honest, at, at Mass, I mean, this is kind of like one of those pious devotion 
Radiant's right. Oh yeah, you just kind of sit nice. back and like this is beautiful. We're deaf and the lame and the mute. Everything's yeah. gonna be good, and then everybody's gonna live together and be nice, and that's about it. So let's take a look at the context of what's going on here. First of all, you take a look at Isaiah chapter thirty-five, just in general. It's got this 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 sense of restoration, right? And we've got been going through these these chapters. We've we've taken a look uh, even in some of our studies here with Monsignor Pope in preparation for. Uh, is his talk on Maranatha, his talk on the coming of Christ and nativity. We looked at back at Isaiah. We've been looking at it last week and, and so forth. And Isaiah's got this kind of 40 chapters of doom and gloom mixed in with, well, at the end of the day, God's going to be victorious and everything's going to be wonderful. And that's kind of what we get here in Isaiah 35, 1 through 6 and verse 10. But we have to know that a prophet can speak into in, multiple time periods. Okay, he can speak of his own time period in which he's living. He can also at the same time be speaking of of, a future event. And ultimately, he can be speaking of the coming of the Messiah and the age of the church Um, because the prophet speaks the truth. And so oftentimes, even within the prophet's life, we see the things that he's saying fulfilled partially and yet not fully. Right. It's still going to come. And so, and we see this in this case in, in, in the life of Isaiah, you'll see in chapter 36, verse one, that we suddenly go to something that feels a lot more like second Kings, right? Oh, yeah. Isaiah goes between these prophetic statements and these historical details, these stories of what's going on. And so you get immediately in chapter 36, verse one, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. This is like, give or take, the year 700 AD, okay? Mm-hmm. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabashaka from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a, with, a, with a great army, and he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, and so forth. And, and they said to him, say to, say to the king, thus says the king of Assyria, on what do you rest your confidence? Oh. You, why? Because, because Hezekiah is now holed up in Jerusalem, and he's going to defend himself against the Assyrian, the greatest army ever world had ever known. He's going to now march on Jerusalem. Hezekiah, who's been getting himself and his people ready for the battle. Now, I, you know, Hezekiah is a great man. What am I going to say? <laughs> One of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. And he's getting him, getting ready. Now, the truth is that Hezekiah has his own problems. Um, and uh, he, he kind of waffles a bit. I mean... He pays tribute to Assyria, which Isaiah the prophet tells him to do. He he does that, but he also seems to, it's not clear, but he seems to also try to find some some support from Egypt Mm. because Egypt is also revolting against Assyria. So here's the thing. He he trusts in the Lord, but kind of like old father Hezekiah, yeah. You know, it, it, it could be better, right? Anyways, but here's here's the story. I'm going to just turn you very quickly to Second Kings because it gives you all of these details. Turn with me now, Second Kings, chapter eighteen, chapter eighteen, and I'm just going to 
very quickly walk you through this, and then we're going to come back now to, to, to our reading in Isaiah chapter 35. Okay, look at 2 Kings chapter 18 in the third, okay, well, yes, yes, chapter 18, verse 1, because it's going to give us all these details of history, and you can read the whole chapter on your own, but I'm going to give it to you in, in, in just a couple of verses. Okay, chapter 18, verse 1, in the third year of Hoshea, king of Ella, king of Israel, now who's, now tell me any, who are we talking about there? The north. The northern ten tribes. So the northern ten tribes have not fallen yet in Second chapter 18. Got it. The uh, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, and the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed, now this is, this is the litany of glory, right? He, yeah. he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. What? what? You remember? You remember what they were setting up on the Mount of Olives and all sorts of false gods? Mm -hmm. God's people in Judah had fallen to pagan idolatry. So. Right. He broke down the pieces of, oh yeah, and then he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Remember the bronze serpent they put up in the desert yeah. for everybody to be healed? Everybody was healed, yeah. Hezekiah destroys it. He's a, I'm like, kind of classed. I'm going to get struck because he's a saint of the church. No, be, why? Because the people were treating it like a, one of the pagan gods. Oh, wow. And so he says, no more, Okay until the days of israel had burned incense to it see that mm, yeah it was called nehush nehushtan he trusted in the lord the god of israel so that there was none like him among all the kings of judah after him nor among those who were before him for he held fast to the lord and did not depart from following him but but kept his commandments and so forth like that okay now in verse seven it says he rebelled against the king of assyria and he would not serve him Okay, and now verse nine, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was in the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Ella, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. So there you go. Samaria then falls there. And verse 13, in the 14th year, now that's exactly what you're getting in Isaiah chapter 36. I showed right. you already, right? right. Yeah. In the 14th year, the king of Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Sennacherib is the other guy's son. The other mm -hmm. guy dies in taking Samaria, and he ends up dying at that time period, and then his son picks up the fight. And it came up against the fortified cities of Judah. Now, that's the, in the south, right? And right. he took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, at Lachish saying, I have done wrong, withdraw from me, whatever you impose on me, I will bear. The, and the king of Assyria required Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and so, and so forth like that. And Hezekiah goes ahead and pays it and becomes a subject of the king of Assyria. But now, going back to Isaiah, going back to Isaiah chapter, where are we at, Annie? Chapter 36, 36 right? Yep. Isaiah 36, here we go. Now in 36, we get we get the next part of the story. And as Hezekiah holds up and holds up in the city of Judah and reroutes 
the spring of Gihon, which is giving water outside the city, the only living spring in Jerusalem. And the, and the Assyrian army is taking that water and surviving while the people of God are being starved out inside the city. And the Assyrian army and, and representatives come and they start yelling up to the guys on the wall, give up, the game's over. And it's, and it's at this time that he then reroutes the, the tunnel underneath the walls of Jerusalem. One of the great wonders of the world when I take people to the Holy Land, we go walk through this tunnel with the spring of Gihon still flowing over, uh, over wow. like you're walking. It's absolutely amazing. And it's one of the wonders of the world because when you go inside, you, you, you walk for like 20, 25 minutes through solid rock tunnel underneath Jerusalem, hand chipped. And you can see the chip marks going toward the center and the chip marks coming this way until they finally met. How did they meet? Nobody knows because the tunnels are doing like this. And they finally randomly meet each other and uh and the and the gihon spring sp uh flowed into jerusalem where the uh uh where they created the pool of siloam wow where the blind yeah. man was healed now i was ordained on the sunday of the feast of the blind man the healing of the blind man in the byzantine calendar which is why we see the name hezekiah but cool. that's another story okay look we're gonna look at, at chapter 36 uh verse 16 these are the guys yelling up to the guys on the walls. These are Assyrians, right? Do not mm -hmm. listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then every one of you will eat of his own vine and every one of his own fig tree. And every one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to the land like your own land, a land of grain and wheat, wine and so forth like that. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us, okay? Hmm. Um, however, they remain strong. And in chapter 37, verse 36, it says, the angel of the Lord went forth and slew 185,000 in the camp of Assyria of the Assyrians. And when the men arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Whoa. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and dwelt in the Negev. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm done. So, okay, so there you go. There's a long-winded way of telling you what's going on in the life of Isaiah at the time. Why do I say that? Because there's like verses, or why did I tell you all that? Because there's verses that are skipped in our reading today. Mm -hmm. We read from verse 1 through 6, and we skip to verse 10, right. and then look at those, those intervening verses. Verse, this is chapter 35, verse... Um, seven mm -hmm. well look at it. then shall the lame man leap like a heart right verse six and the tongue of the dumb sing with joy that's our text for what it, for the waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert mm. right the burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water so and this is what i'm saying to you the prophet often does speak of what's going on in his own day yeah. When Hezekiah rerouted the spring of Gihon into the city and saved the people that were starving, parched, sand, everything, right? But it also prophesies what's going to come. That in after the, the conquest of Jerusalem, the burning of Jerusalem, 2 second, second Kings chapter 25, um, and when, when Jeremiah sees all of this and writes his lamentations, there's going to be a day of salvation, yes? And that day of salvation is going to give freedom. And, and that's the second part of what I need to, to share with you about this text and maybe you have other questions. And it's this, when uh, Isaiah is talking about the lame and the blind 
and the para, you know, the, 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 the mutes and, and so forth, the, the strengthen the hands that are feeble, make firm the knees that are weak and so forth. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the fact that the poor people of the land were being oppressed by the aristocracy, by the people in power. They were, they were being enslaved. We've looked at this many times. We don't have to look at it again, but the, the people of God were enslaving their own people, right? And they were refusing to honor the Jubilee year. And, uh, um, and, uh, and, and so, so I, Isaiah comes and preaches, there's going to be a day when you who suffer are given freedom. Yeah, there's going to be a day coming when you're going to be let, uh, let go of this oppression and you're going to eat your fill. And, and you poor people of the temple that are begging and stuff and, 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 and you're suffering, you're going to be healed. So it's, it's yes, when, when the, the people of God are relieved from the Assyrian attack, right? But it's also when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, the remnant remains, right? And they're given freedom finally for 70 years. They, they enjoy their jubilee, right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, as we learn in Ezra and Nehemiah, they are slaves even in their own land when they return from Babylon. And so they yearn for and they desire the real fulfillment. When are Isaiah's words really going to be fulfilled? Because they're partially fulfilled. When are they going to really be fulfilled? Which is why Jesus says what he says in the gospel. Take a look at it today. Because they're still looking for fulfillment, right? They're, they're at the edge of the Jordan River and John's baptizing. And they're asking, are you the Messiah? Right? When is, when is, when is uh, second, King, second Samuel chapter 7 going to be fulfilled? When it says that, that the throne of, of, of David will remain forever. See, all of these things are partially fulfilled, but not yet, right? King Hezekiah is the anointed one of God who gives relief to the people sees the messiah as all of the guys are right he's a righteous king but he's not righteous enough right there's still there must be something more and so through all of these historical re realizations of the prophet there's still a future realization that they, the people of god wait for and are hungry for and that's what the church places before us this yearning this desire that the one who is to come is going to be the one who we have desired and waited for all of these years to finally give real freedom to God's people. Freedom not just from oppression to the, of the Assyrians or the Babylonians, but of the freedom from the oppression of the devil. I'm just curious if there's um, significance for these particular healings that, that Isaiah mentioned, um, you know, the blind... Um, their eyes being open, the ears of the deaf being cleared, lame, le leaping. I think it's interesting that the mute will sing and not speak. Um, that is interesting, yes. So um, I'm, I'm just wondering, I mean, is there is there any particular significance to those healings? I mean, Jesus performed a lot of healings. Um, but he calls so, these particular ones out, right? Yeah. The blind man is the one who, can, who, who cannot see God. Right? He can't even he can't even see he can't even see when the Lord acts in the, in their life. Right? He cannot hear the word of God. He cannot walk with the Lord to be his disciple. Right? Mm -hmm. So I I I don't I, be honest, I don't I don't know any your particular question whether there may be some commentators that comment on that on these particular illnesses. But I always refer back to these, especially when I'm giving homilies in the church. That you know Jesus's healings. Again, we're going to take a look at this in a minute. But Jesus's healings are about more than the healings right? 
Jesus says, stand up to the paralytic, stand up and, 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 and walk, pick up your pallet and walk. Right. But, but before that, he says, he comes to forgive the sins, right? He says, your sins are forgiven you. And that, but then, but he says that they may know that your sins are forgiven. Hmm. Pick up your pallet and walk. Right. So the right. physical healings are revelations of a deeper spiritual healing that Christ has come to give us. And, yeah. and, and, and in fact, the, the, the illnesses that we suffer today, whether it be blindness or, 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 or the paralytic or whatever the case may be, are the result ultimately the sin of our first parents. And we suffer in this situation that we find ourselves in a broken world in which we get sick, not only paralytics. I know there are paralytics watching this. But all of us, our, our bodies are revealing this, 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 this divorce that has taken place between the spirit and the body, right? Mm. And Jesus is coming, and I, and I, I often, I, I've used this example before, but Jesus has come and found us in our, the state we're in, right? Mm -hmm. And rather than condemning us for what we've done with this created order, uh, he takes us to himself and redeems our suffering, much like a father takes the artwork of a child that is objectively bad right <laughs> right but we love the artwork because the child is doing the best they can do with the situation they find themselves in sure and so we take them and we bring we we we, we lovingly accept that gift that they give us in a similar way the father takes the, the the all of our sufferings and holds us close to him and makes those op those places an opportunity for love an opportunity for healing so that all of the healings in the Old Testament and the New are for this deeper purpose. And in a similar way, we can say that the sins of Judah and Israel in the, in the years before the Babylonian exile in enslaving their brother were about more than physical enslavement. Mm -hmm. they, were holding, they were holding one another in spiritual debt. And the physical manifestation of that was revelatory that the evil one had taken hold of God's people such that they were bowing down to false gods and worshiping them and even sacrificing their children. The situation is not all that different today. Yeah. We see all sorts of physical manifestations of sin and of the dominion of the devil, but those physical manifestations are just that. They're manifestations of an interior servitude to the evil one. Okay. So I don't know, Annie, if that's, that's what you're looking for or not, but. So. Oh, the, I mean, a, a beautiful point. Um, the, um, the responsorial Psalm, I think really echoes. I mean, <laughs> I shouldn't, I say that as if it like some kind of figurative way, it like literally echoes what Isaiah says, you know, the Lord gives sight to the blind, the Lord raises up those who were bowed down, the Lord loves the just, protects strangers. I mean, this is all about this restoration that you've been talking about. And and notice the, the, the verse, which we repeat over and over again, Lord, come and save us, right? For those who desire to be saved. And I encourage our participants, sing this, this Sunday, let your hearts sing this out to call upon the lord who's the only one who can save us 
and then the Lord will become, as it says, the Lord shall reign forever. Where is the Lord going to reign? But here within me, within my heart, within my family, within our society. He does not, and there's that, that this is what we say in the response to the psalm. The Lord God keeps faith forever. The Lord God keeps faith forever. He is the one that's faithful. We are the ones that are not faithful. Yeah. And when we call out to him, we restore that relationship, which is the only way in which his healing arm can reach into our life and heal us from our sins, from our infirmities. Okay. So again, that's Psalm 1. 146. 146. Yeah. And repeating Isaiah 35 verse 4. Shall we look at the gospel? Luke chapter 11. Matthew chapter Sorry. 11. Why did I say Luke? We because we were in Luke we for so long. That's why. <laughs> I got to tell you, okay. I'm gonna share we love the of, gospel of Luke. I, I'm going to share with all of you because we've been studying together. And many of you, and some maybe even new today, but but so many of us have been studying together over the last, you know, six months, a year, two years. Uh, last in, in the Byzantine calendar, last Sunday, we read Luke chapter 18, which was the story of the, of the uh, rich man. And when Jesus says the eye of the needle, and I've shared that with you before, you know, and he's the the man could not, could not go with him because he says you have to sell everything. Right. Um, There's the beginning of that text. We're we're going, yeah, we're going to Matthew and you know what? Father Hezekiah is going to do something very rare. And that is, I'm going to do a rabbit trail. Oh, great. I'm just kidding. My whole Bible says are rabbit trails, but here we go. (laughs) So I'm just going to take you there very quickly. We're going to go back and visit Luke chapter 18. You thought you were done with it. You're not done no, with it. No, I've missed Luke. I've missed him. So I'm glad yeah. for this. Because I, I just, I never, we didn't say this when we did this passage, but it just came out so clearly to me. Having finished, having finished the gospel together, mm-hmm. you can then go back and realize that the things you learned toward the end of the gospel are even more powerful, right? More Remember powerful we had that big the back and forth where they're, where, where Jesus is in there in the temple with them and they're going at it. And then when he's crucified, it says they're jeering at him. Yeah. Right. Well, if we go back to Luke, to, to, to Luke chapter 18, it says uh, verse 18, 18, 18. And a ruler stop Remember the rulers, right? These are the guys you sat at the table with later on in the gospel, right? These yeah. are the guys that are around that he's, they're jeering at him. Okay. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but God alone. And I just, we didn't really focus on that verse, but do you see once you've done the gospel, yep. how, how funny that response is? I've always thought about it as an apologetic way of going, and I've always had to kind of explain it away, especially talking about Jeho- to Jehovah's Witnesses who deny the divinity of Christ. See, Jesus, Jesus says he's not God, right? right? He says, oh, why are you calling me good? There's no one good but God alone, right? So don't call me good because I'm not God, right? That's what it appears Interesting. to say. Interesting, yeah, okay. But you realize what's going on. The ruler who's been behind his back with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these guys are they're talking with the Herodians. They're, they're, they're plotting Jesus' death. So he comes out, good, good master. He's playing a game. And Jesus calls him on his game. Like he does so many times in the gospel, he calls the man out. Why did you just call me good? Because you were just behind my back with those weasels over there. So don't see playing out of two sides of your mouth. And he calls him out for it. If you're truly calling me good, then you know what you're calling me. But you don't truly believe I'm good. 
because you don't truly believe I'm God. That's the nature of that exchange. And you yeah. only know that when you're reading the whole of the gospel through anyways. Love oh, it. I was preaching my homily on Sunday. And I got totally saved by that. <laughs> thanks to you guys and being the pa- having the patience to go to it. Let's take a look at our gospel today. Awesome. All right. Flip backwards in your Bible to Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Let me know when you're ready, Padre. Yep, let's do it. All right, here we go. when john the baptist heard in prison of the works of the christ he sent his disciples to jesus with this question are you the one who is to come or should we look for another jesus said to them in reply go and tell john what you hear and see the blind regain their sight the lame walk lepers are cleansed the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. As they were going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you get Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. All right, well, let's get some context here first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what has Jesus been doing? What's he been saying around this time? And also, why is John the Baptist in prison? Well, well, well you know why John the Baptist is in prison, right? Well, so- I know, but he, he, got to go through it right uh, we'll play the dog and pony show okay so, <laughs> you know why he's in prison because because herod ends up taking his brother philip's wife as a concubine and john goes out and says it's 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 not okay to take your brother's wife as your concubine okay it'd be it, it'd be it'd be like a religious leader today standing up to a politician and saying it's not okay for you to support abortion okay mm-hmm. it's not okay for you to claim you're a catholic and even in public go to mass and receive holy communion even though you're supporting homosexual so-called marriage okay and now I know all of you are thinking that I'm speaking of particular politicians and particular cler- uh, clerics and hierarchs in the church. And I am. And I'm not afraid to say it. Yes? Archbishop Cordelione has excommunicated the so-called Catholic uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, who is within his jurisdiction. And in doing so, he has followed the example of St. John the Baptist. Now, some would say that it's not okay that he did that. 
and may even go as far as meeting with this woman in certain palaces of some eternal cities and even inviting those people to private masses. My brothers and sisters, it's not okay. It's not okay. Uh, and so, yes, uh, we have examples in our society today of, of, of this exact thing. Thank God John the Baptist had the backbone to stand up and say to Herod, no. Now, because we're heading towards Christmas, let's make sure we get our stuff figured out because we're talking about people in the gospel and it's important we know who they are so very quickly uh matthew chapter that was that was my diatribe okay matthew chapter matthew chapter 11 um no chapter oh, two sorry chapter two okay verse 19 i'm going to do this for you here because i because we're going in and we hear all these things about about the holy innocence and all this stuff which you're going to get that story there by the way in matthew chapter two right of king herod and the yeah. killing of the holy innocents, and Jesus fleeing to Egypt. That's all right there. And then verse 19, when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he, and he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus reigned over judea in the place of his father herod he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream he withdrew to the district of galilee and he went and dwelt in the city of nazareth that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled he shall be called a nazarene and so forth now turn your bibles with me very quickly to the gospel of luke chapter 3 verse 1 in the are you with me Ch sorry i had it already marked i flipped my bible luke I chapter 3 verse 1 there. luke chapter 3 verse 1 all right in the 15th year of the reign of tiberius caesar it's the caesar right in rome pontius pilate being governor of judea what i thought archelaus was over judea Yes? Mm -hmm. So it gets very, a little bit confusing here. Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Judea and so forth. Um, the word of, the God, of, of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region about the Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, now I want to talk, kind of paint the picture for you now. Because you, there's a switch in, in governance that takes place because when Herod the Great, so-called the Great, dies, and we got to talk on Herod, so-called the Great, uh, in, our, in our ICC library, when he dies and he's basically reigning as king in, uh, in the Holy Land, uh, kind of a king puppet of the Romans, when he dies, he leaves his, his kingdom to his three sons. Now, I'm kind of simplifying it, but it's that's the basics okay it's his three sons herod and all of them have the name herod okay herod archelaus down south in judah and around jerusalem okay where pontius pilate is going to finally be made governor to the north western side of the sea of galilee and samaria and that area that is going to go to his son herod antipas 
And, and that guy's going to end up being the strong brother who remains in power. And he's going to just simply be called Herod. And this is why it gets confusing because the Herod we meet at the crucifixion is this brother, this sure. son. And on the Eastern side of the sea of Galilee is Philip. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now Jesus is up there in the Galilee area. What happens to Archelaus down below? Remember, Joseph comes back from Egypt and he finds out that Archelaus is in charge in Galilee or in Judea. And what's he do? <laughs> I'm not staying I'm not here. Yeah. This guy's crazy. He's crazier than his dad. And in fact, he was so crazy that the Romans removed Archelaus from Judea and they changed his governance and put Pontius Pilate in as a governor rather than as a kind of a king puppet, right? Sure. Sure. That's the change that happens in between uh, Jesus as a child being brought back to the Holy Land and John growing up and is now preaching as a prophet, right? Those, the, 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 the private years or whatever you want to call it of Jesus's life from being a child to being 30 years old when he begins his, begins his ministry. This is when John's preaching, right? Okay, so anyways, now this guy's replaced. John is now goes after the other brother up north. He goes after uh, Herod Antipas for doing what he's done. That's taking his, his brother Philip's wife. And how does he do that? Well, because Herod Philip on the eastern side was the weaker of the two brothers. Okay, mm -hmm. and, uh, and he ends up preaching against him. You know the story. He gets arrested. And here's where we pick up the story that we're in. Okay, so when you're hearing all these stories about Herods and, 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 and so forth, know who you're talking about. Herod the Great, Herod Ar Archelaus, Herod Antipas, Herod Philip. Okay, you, that's the basic structure. If you know that, it's going to help you out a lot. Now, you asked, where are we? I think you asked, where are we in the gospel? Right, right. That question? in Matthew, yeah. Matthew. Well, we're in chapter 11. What else do you want to know? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go back with you very quickly to Matthew chapter 5. Well, Matthew chapter three, you're going to see the baptism of the Lord. And this is why it's good to highlight your Bibles, guys. I look, I'm not like my brother where he, you know, he knows everything by heart. He's got all this stuff. He's really smart. But, so I got to use my highlighters so I can easily, I can go boom, baptism. Why? It's in green for me. That means life. It's got a, it's got, I'm connecting father, son, and Holy spirit right there. Cause the revelation of the Trinity, the father speaks, the spirit descends, the sun is comes forth from the waters. So it's there. It's, it's like a little triangle between the names. Okay. And I'm like, I know that's the baptism. So it's good to highlight your Bibles. So Jesus comes out of the baptism and begins preaching. So now after chapter three, and I'm just going to flip my Bible. I see very clearly in chapter five, the, 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 the preaching in the Mount of Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor of spirit, blessed are the king. The, the Beatitudes or like an instruction to Jesus's disciples. It's like they're finishing school. They're in there. He's given them the basic laws of the kingdom, how, the, how they're supposed to be living their life. And then he's going to send them out. Look at chapter six, verse one. Beware of the pra practicing your piety before men in order to be seen. So he's about to send them out to uh, on their mission. Verse five, chapter six, verse five, when you pray, chapter 16, when you fast, He's giving them instructions about how they're to go out and engage in this ministry, okay? And you'll see in chapter 8, uh, verse 18, chapter 8, verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Going over to the other side is going over to Philip's side. 
because he's in Capernaum doing all this stuff and they're starting to crowd around him. And the, and then the rulers of the Jews are hanging around and they're in with the Herodians mm-hmm. and they're talking about that Jesus is getting too popular and they're about to arrest him. So Jesus jumps in the boat and they get in the boat, get out. We got to get out of Dodge. And they go over to Philip's side and so forth. And um, chapter nine, verse one, and getting into the boat, and came over to his own city. So there he goes back over to Capernaum. Once things cool down, back and forth in the gospel. And now we are here we are in chapter 11 of the gospel. By this time, all of this is broken out. They've arrested John. And boom, we're in the heart of our gospel account in like 45 minutes or less. And by the way, he's also healed, what, two blind men and someone who's oh, yeah. mute. Well, that's what he's doing, right? He's yeah. going around. He's going around. And this is super important now. He's going around Galilee, and he's, he's like a, the, the, the traveling miracle man, right? And when you read the gospel, if you read it out of political context, now in the context of Isaiah, um, you know, it, it's it kind of like Jesus' magic man. He's going around one after another. And I remember when I was first coming back to the church and I started reading the gospel of Matthew and I was like, what? Every single thing, he heals another guy and he heals another guy and he heals another guy. And I'm like, all these healings, I'm exhausted. It's the, it's the traveling magic man. And, um, but I didn't understand why he was doing the healings. Now we're going to understand why he's doing the healings, going back to the Babylonian exile, going back to the years before the Babylonian exile, back to the refusal to celebrate the Jubilee year. And, and the restoration of God's people, because they're looking for the, for the sign that the prophets told them, right? When, when, the, when the Messiah comes, when, when all of it's made right, this is what's going to happen. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, yeah, it begins to happen with Hezekiah, but it doesn't happen, right? It begins to happen after the Babylonian exile, but it doesn't happen. And so they're waiting for this thing, right? Which makes a lot of sense now about this conversation which takes place annie yes well kind of i mean come on it does yeah i mean it does okay but what doesn't john know that jesus is the one to come i mean why is he asking this question that's 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 a very good question what do we know john knows Right. Well, that's, I mean, man, that's a pre- preliminary question, right? I mean, what does John God know? spoke from the heavens at the baptism, and John was there, right? And then, and then, did John hear it? I mean, I, I guess I, I assumed that. And, he did. and then, what did John do right after the baptism? What did Baptized. What do you say? I don't remember. He says he, 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 he points to his, his his own disciples, John, who will yeah. be the evangelist and andrew and says behold the lamb of god yeah so look so okay i mean uh, john the baptist who confessed christ in the womb right i mean like he's known from (laughs) does he know right exactly well guess what annie your question is answered by saint jerome oh nice john asked this not because he is ignorant but to guide others who are ignorant and say to them, behold, the lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And he has heard the voice of the father saying, this is my beloved son with whom I will please. Rather, it is the same sort of question as when the savior asked where Lazarus was buried, right? He knew where Lazarus was buried, right? <laughs> but he's helping the people gather there. So John is a, is, a, is a beautiful image. He's called the forerunner in our tradition, the forerunner, the one who points the way to Christ. Um, and, uh, you know, I always like to go into the church 
and it's tr it is traditional to depict uh, St. John the Baptist there on the iconostasis in the Byzantine church, right in, in the, right in the front of the sanctuary. And John's hand is always, is always like this. Yeah. And he's uh -huh. pointing the way to Christ. And I always pray to John, bring me, bring me to our savior. Be with uh -huh. me as I make my, my journey to, to the Lord. And so, so yes, it's interesting in this passage that even though John has, John the Baptist has told his disciples, behold, the lamb of God, they're still following John the yeah. Baptist, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And he's still saying, them, go, 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 look. And so they're listening, they're not listening. And so this whole exercise seems to be oh, interesting. really for his disciples more than for him. Sure, sure. At least okay. that's what St. Jerome says. All right. Well, and you know what? I'll buy that. I totally buy that, especially because it came from St. Jerome. But, you know, the argument itself my next question about this this exchange though is like jesus i mean obviously we see like these um imagery like we were reading in the first reading in isaiah um why doesn't jesus just say well yeah i am him mm. who is to come why does he answer i, I think there's two I, first of all he he, he answers that, it that way but by by way of pulling up Isaiah, and I'll say two things. First of all, there were a lot of crackpots running around, and we don't really realize this when you're reading the gospel account, but there were a lot of crackpots running around at the time of Christ claiming to be the Messiah. Hmm. Okay, he wasn't the only one. Sure. And so, yeah, I think he's I think he's being cautious, mm -hmm. and not only that um people are listening right if you read this gospel account those same thing that was going on in luke these guys are all standing around listening to him and if he claims to be the messiah what does that mean right when, when andrew goes to peter and says we found the messiah this is an act of treason and the herodians are all standing around he has just had to leave capernaum for this very reason and now he's coming back to capernaum and and you're saying, well, why doesn't he just stand up like Woo! I'm the second person, the Holy Trinity? <laughs> Heck yeah, I'm man! The <laughs> well, first of all, the thing is a crackpot, but second of all, they'll arrest him. This yeah. is what they're waiting for, right? So what does he say? He says, "Look, I am. Take a look at what I'm doing, right? Which separates him from the crackpots, but it also, and I think more importantly for us, places him in the context of salvation history. What was wrong with the disciples on the road to Emmaus? They didn't see Jesus and what he was doing in the larger context of God's plan for salvation. And because of that, they walked away from Jerusalem with their heads down. We had thought he was the one. And he says, foolish men slow to believe and heart of heart and then what does he say he doesn't say to them i'm him yeah. no he goes back and he t shows them all of salvation history he does swords and serpents he does swords and serpents with them yeah so that they can receive okay and uh um and and i think this is a similar a similar situation that we encounter here that jesus wants these guys who are they're already teetering, right? 
if we can accept Jerome's insight here, then we know that these disciples of John the Baptist are in need of something more than words. Because he's already said, behold, the Lamb of God. They're, they've already, you know, and so, and so they, they, need to, they need to see the bigger picture. And that's exactly what Jesus says to them. See the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. I'm doing all of the things that Isaiah prophesied would be done. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven truly is at hand. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we reading this during Advent? I have no, no. idea. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we just encountered John the Baptist mm -hmm. just last week, right? And now we encounter him again. Um, the, uh, you know, uh, why the church chooses this particular passage. Why I do believe this is, this is a preparation for theophany. Yeah. It's a preparation. Mm -hmm. The feast that we've talked about so many times, the feast of the nativity, feast of theophany, the same reality of this expectation of the coming Christ. Yeah. This revelation of who he is. Think about, think about John the Baptist on the Jordan river, hearing the, the words of the father and the descent of the Holy spirit. These are physical manifestations of a reality that are, that he's, thinking is true, right? The revelatory helping him see and those around him see. But these are guys who haven't come to see. Yeah? These guys are, in a sense, blind and unable to walk with Jesus. They're not following him. They're not following Jesus. They're following the, uh, John the Baptist, right? And so, um, and, and you can say they're mute, right? They're not coming to Jesus and asking. They're going to John the Baptist. Yeah. And John the Baptist says, go back, go back. All right. And so um, Jesus is going to bring a healing in, in their lives and same for us. What did these guys need? They need a theophany, right? They need to begin to see the lame walk and, the, and, the, and they need to start seeing Jesus for who he is and seeing beyond those things, really seeing beyond those things to the one who forgives sins beyond the paralytic to the sins he's forgives and so forth so so uh why now we are all in time of preparation asking ourselves who is this who is to come is it possible that god has truly become a man a, a baby in the womb of the virgin mary is it possible show me lord reveal yourself to me lord that i may become your disciple and see you for who you are, and hear your words, and begin to walk as one of your disciples. Okay, now we can go to the epistle. Okay, James. James chapter 5, and we are reading verses 7 through 10. <clears throat> he writes, Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You too must be patient. Make your hearts firm because the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not complain brothers and sisters about one another that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing before the gates. Take as an example of hardship and patience, brothers and sisters, the prophets who spoke in the name of the lord i'm gonna finish our, our time off together um um well two things i'm gonna give you another passage in addition to james which says very much the same thing and uh but but quotes 
quotes Isaiah because St. Paul does the, uh, picks up the prophecy of Isaiah that we were reading. So turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. Yes, in which, which, which St. Paul quotes quotes Isaiah. And, and I only put this out not because he says something new, but because now he's applying it to the Christian community. And therefore, he's, I think, more even more applicable to us. And the Assyrians... The Assyrian army is surrounding Jerusalem. But the Lord will be victorious if we just turn to him and have faith. Therefore, chapter 12, verse 12, therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths of your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with all men, for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There it is. Uh, St. Paul picking up Isaiah from memory. He doesn't even really quote him, right? He just remembers the prophet and he, and he says the same thing. Okay. And it, we're living in a very much a, a similar time, especially liturgically, in which we have this hope in the coming of the Lord. And so I share with you uh, St. Bede, and then we'll conclude the, the, our, our program. James tells us to look to the prophets who never did anything wrong and who spoke the words of God's spirit to the people, but who nevertheless suffered a terrible end at the hands of unbelievers. Zechariah, Uriah, and the Maccabees, for example, not to mention John the Baptist, Stephen, James, the son of Zebedee, and many others in the New Testament. They did not complain at such an end, but were willing to endure it. Others put up with long labors without complaining. For example, Noah, who spent a hundred years building the ark. And Moses, who took 40 years to lead people out of slavery and into the promised land. The just judge will give you the rewards of your patience and will punish your adversaries with what they deserve. He sits at the door where he can, be, where he can watch everything you do. And you will come quickly to give, and he will come quickly to give each one whatever he or she deserves. My brothers and sisters, I encourage you to make this time a time of preparation. It's a very distracting time of the year from our spiritual life. Set those things aside. Begin fasting for the preparation for the coming of the Lord. Increase your charity, your almsgiving to make a place for the one who's given his life for us. Increase your prayer life so that you can begin to open up that communication with the Lord so that the, that the life we begin to live now will be the life which we live for all eternity. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.